0: This is Ayla podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the This is Isla podcast. This is Julian Thurgood.
0: And this is Gemma McLean.
1: Welcome Gemma and thanks for joining us and happy new year everybody.
0: Yes, happy new year to you too.
1: Some of our listeners know Gemma from Spirited Soaps in Beaumore. You may not know that she was nominated as a High Street Hero for going above and beyond in supporting the community during last year. Together with Elsa Hayes... Gemma has literally been spreading good spirit around the island all year. Congratulations Gemma and thanks again for all the hard work that you, Elsa and the team put into producing Isla's very own hand sanitizer.
0: Thanks Joel. Yeah, it's great to be here. After the last few months and the rush up to Christmas, it's nice to have a little break over January.
1: And how's, how's your commute from Jura going this time of year?
0: Um, it's okay. We've not had too many storms yet. Um, it's a really nice commute, so um, I quite like my, my travel back and forth to Isla
1: What happens if you want to pull a sickie?
0: <laughs> I, I don't get to pull sickies very often. Luckily, I like my job, so I don't really feel the need to do that.
1: That's that's great.
0: Now to the podcast. Coming up in this episode...
1: We go trick bagging with Nick Bowman.
0: We mark Robert Byrne's birthday in a conversation with Ian Gibson.
1: We enjoy a little music from Mary McGillivray's new EP.
0: And later on, we have this month's Factoid.
1: But first, an update on Isla Sessions 2020. The live stream event did finally take place on January the 9th and is currently available on YouTube. Simply search for Fraser Shaw Trust and play Isla Sessions' complete show. And don't forget to support the good work that the Trust takes on.
0: Earlier this month, Joel caught up with Nick Bowman.
1: Today, I'm happy to welcome Nick Bowman and Jenny Featherstone to the studio. And I can't wait to hear about the trig bagging trip around Isla.
2: Well, my name is Nicholas Bowman, I'm born and raised in Isla. I work at the Freud Distillery making whiskey for a living. And if I'm not doing that, I'm usually out walking with my dogs. So it was a Good way to get out
1: and about and explore Isla. And Jenny, you joined Nick for most of the the trip, didn't you?
3: Aye, all of them. I. All of them. I. I. I'm. Uh, I'm originally from Dorset, but we moved to Isla in 2013 when we bought the Dower House in Kildalton, which my parents restored. And I'm now working as a builder with the builder that we used for the house.
1: But you've been walking on Isla. Ah, all my
3: life we've been coming to Ireland every summer for two weeks since, well, since before I was born actually. <laughs> so uh, um, it was natural progression.
1: So in lockdown last year, some people learned a foreign language, baked banana bread, or even started a podcast. How did you get started on, on this uh, of all things? And had you heard of trick bagging before?
2: No, I hadn't heard of trick bagging as such. Uh, I had been to a few of them just with a previous job. Uh, and obviously with both of us being off work and the lockdown, we had done one. We start with what? We, start uh, with,
3: we started with the Ferry Hill, didn't we? We just went for a walk with my mom because my dad was shielding, so we, we hardly saw them. But we thought, going for a walk's all right. So, so we went off at the Ferry Hill one week and then, was well, Nick suggested, that we, we do them all. So we bought ourselves a map. And start, going and started from there
1: and message number one by map yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a one. Just so how, how be, many trig points are there on Isla?
2: thirty four so we didn't, we didn't well, i didn't i was quite surprised i didn't realize there were so many. I knew there was a fair few but
3: thirty four was quite quite a surprise um, it was just it was something we talked about doing for a long time but just with our jobs, Nick works shifts, and I work six days a week. So we end up, at the end of the day, we have two Sundays off together in eight weeks. I think. Something like that, yeah. So we don't have much time.
1: But last uh, spring, last spring, you had a lot more time off together.
3: We did, and it was it was actually I know it was an absolutely awful time for well the majority of people, but for us it was actually well we had a great lockdown, which <laughs> oh, yeah makes me feel a bit guilty to say it, but we did have a really it was nice to have time to actually see the island and do the things that we hadn't been doing for such a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. And you had good weather too.
3: Oh, it did. It was incredible, I eh? We couldn't yeah. have been luckier
1: with the weather. Yeah, we were lucky. And this was a family affair, right? I've I've seen pictures with dogs and uh, your son joined, yeah. joined for plenty
2: something. plenty of dogs. Plenty of dogs. Uh, my son and uh, my brother Elliot came to a few and Jenny's parents came to a few as well, so uh, it was obviously with the lockdown and the kind of restrictions we didn't want it to be obviously it was all socially distanced uh, but we, we could have uh, it would have been good to have a few more family members come along but no, it was good
1: And how, So how long did it take, the whole, the whole set of 34?
3: About eight months, wasn't it? We started in April of last year and we finished on the 3rd of January this year, so we would have liked to have kept it all in 2020, but it
2: wasn't
1: to be. <laughs> no, we were three days over. Uh, <laughs> so what, what was the most difficult point to get to?
2: No, I think we can have different opinions on that one. Uh, mine would probably be the two that we kayak to. Yeah, so Nave or Orsay, just because I'm not very confident on a kayak. So it was quite a bit challenging to get to them too, but I'm glad we done it and it was in safe hands.
3: Uh, I think Orsay definitely was. Yeah. Well, they were div- They were difficult for different reasons. But Orsay, the tidal race at Orsay is like really, really strong. We yeah. We took my dad. My dad's an experienced sea kayaker, so we took him with us, and he he worked out the tides the day before and told us when we had to go, when we had to be <laughs> back by, which was a bit nerve wracking going over, knowing that we were past the the best time. <laughs>
1: So you got there and back in one piece.
3: We did I, yeah. yeah no. fact, it only took
2: maybe ten minutes or something to go over, but it was a challenging ten minutes.
1: And I hear when you got to Nave Island, you had lots of company there.
2: Yeah, as you say, between seals and geese, but no the seals were phenomenal, really. Was, there was
3: hundreds and hundreds of seals. I've never seen anything like no. it. Uh,
1: well, I've heard I've heard them from Ardnay, but I've never seen seen them.
3: No, well, we hadn't either. You occasionally you get them on the sandbanks in the estuary, don't you? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, we hadn't really seen them. But they were all just up the beaches. There was we counted 150 in one of my photos, yeah, just yeah. in one group. They probably looked just as su-
2: surprised to see us as we did them as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but no. no was... What was what the most rewarding? Would you say of of all the of all the points?
3: Um, I think Ben Vicker. Yeah, but mainly because we had everyone with us. We got Oliver at Ben Vicker, which we didn't think was very likely when we started. Oliver is not a keen walker at all. <laughs> and so everyone we took him to, even if it was just a five-minute walk, it was mammoth task, wasn't it? But, but uh, <laughs> he done, Ben Vicker, yeah. he did without a single moan. He just you got went. out of the car and he got walking, and that I was and that. Got to the top and run back down. Pretty much. <laughs> so that was amazing. And we took oh Elliot well and my parents too and it was it was quite good to to have my parents there because we'd last tried climbing ben Vicker about 20 years ago when i was six and we made it up the first hill glass bend but we didn't get the whole way to ben Vicker and it was quite a traumatic day for everyone it's one of the ones that we still talk about now Dad dragging. you put,
1: that to, re- you put that to rest now that's great. So, what what advice do you have for people thinking of doing the same thing?
2: Um, buy a map. <laughs> um, definitely plan plan ahead. And there was a lot of
3: places where we needed to get permission from yeah. either the farmer or the estate owner. Yeah,
2: it's gonna just depend on what time of year as well. With uh, definitely estate stalking or farmers calving and lambing, but definitely try and get permission.
3: Uh, We tried to do, we did all the ones on Isla Estates around the northern tip. So, Raval, Balsa, we did all of those before stalking season started. So, we were kind of rushing to get them done so that we were Mm -hmm. out of the way. But no, there was,
2: we didn't really get any trouble at all. But just it's always good just to get that permission off the landowner just to keep in their good books as well. Uh,
1: And the trip to Balsa must have been quite a long one. Was that your longest day?
2: Yeah, it was, a it was kind of, al- definitely the longest day. It was fourteen miles. Yeah, so we 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 got permission and took the car right out past Kellen Island Farm, uh, to Gorch and Tush, And then we kind of started from there, up onto the Scariff, dropped down into Balsaa, and then we made our way back to. Um,
3: Got into his Point. Got
2: into his Point, so it
3: was... I think I complicated things, so didn't I? Because <laughs> I wanted to see the caves at Bolsa. I didn't... We talked about going to Bolsa for a long time. We hadn't done it. Uh, I've I've never been to the caves, so...
2: You have now. I have now. <laughs>
3: we went down to the beach. And we tried to walk along because it looked like you'd be able to get back up the hill and you couldn't, so we had to walk up through a gully. And that was all right, wasn't it, but... We just nearly lost the dog. Nick had to pull me up by my arm at one point, <laughs> just dangling. But
1: <laughs> You made it.
3: We did make it back, yep. yeah. All four dogs still alive, and us.
1: <laughs> it
2: definitely has a challenge, and a lot of folk that maybe in the future want to try and do them. It's just
3: some of the walks are pretty
2: hard. They uh, are.
3: That northern tip is... Yeah. It's, it's, uh, there's not really any tracks, and it was four miles uphill, up to the scarab mm-hmm. do wasn't it yeah which as it's a long way even if you were just to do that one in the day that's still well that's eight miles of pretty hard walking so it's something to be aware of I think yeah
1: and good walking gear you need Definitely. oh yeah
3: yeah yep. uh, so what? Also, when it comes to Christmases and birthdays it's, yeah, we're easy to buy for each other <laughs> because we can just get more outdoor kit <laughs>
1: So what, what's next for you? I, I heard rumour you were going to try Jura next.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely Jura. Uh, we've just got a map there today, so we've got them all pinned pinned off on the map. So um, how many was it? It's 16. 16.
3: including another one on an island. So there'll be another kayaking trick, which uh, yeah. Nick's thrilled about.
2: <laughs> just a small island off of Craig House. Um, there has got one on it, so... No, they're, they're, they're well spread out, so we'll be, we'll be camping over in Jura. Um, I was
1: going to say, it sounds like you'll have some overnight trips there.
3: Ah, uh, There's a lot. I think there's seven or eight on the, just on the north end, pretty much beyond the road. So there'll be, well, I would think a couple yeah. at least camping trips. But yeah. it'll be really good because, I mean, you don't really see. We go to Jura for the day or for a night yeah. or something, and you see part of it, but you don't see much. And Nick's never climbed the Paps either.
2: I've never so. claimed the paps. I've climbed most other hills with the deer counts. We uh, did the deer counts once a year, but I've never been up the paps. So
3: no, so that's a that's one on the must-do list.
1: That's something for you to look forward to. Ho- hopefully, yeah. some great weather this year as well.
2: Hopefully, aye.
1: Now I noticed you support a lot of different charities over over the year. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about Dotty Aid.
2: Yeah, um, dodi Aid is a charity run by uh, Dodie Weir. Um It's a, an exercise challenge that um, the ex-Scotland international, Rob Wainwright, has set up um, through the month of January, just encouraging uh, folk to get out and about, um, whether it be walking, running, cycling, um, and you record your miles. So each part of the UK is split into different districts. Um, Isla is in the northern midlands group i think so um so you you go on and you you log in your miles and it's a kind of small competition amongst amongst different districts but it's um you sign up it's 20 pound to enter and all money goes towards the dodie weed Neurons disease foundation so we're taking part in that and um throughout the year we just like to kind of do a bit as a rugby club and help out where we can
1: that sounds like a great cause we wish you uh, lots of luck with that. And hopefully the weather's good enough. We can get out uh, this month. It hasn't been hopefully.
2: It's, it hasn't been lately. But... <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it is January. It's not really <laughs> the, the best month. No. Well, that, that sounds uh, great. Uh, it was great to hear about your trip all around Ireland. We wish you lots of luck on your excursions to Jura over the coming year. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I didn't know trick bagging was a thing.
1: Well, neither did I. It sounds like a lot of fun, especially with the family and dogs joining in.
0: Yeah, so I gather he's coming to do Jura next. I think it'll be a bit more of a challenge, but I wish him the best of luck.
1: Next, we're going for something seasonal.
0: This is the time of year that Scots around the world gather to celebrate our national bard, Robert Burns, on and around his birthday on the 25th of January.
1: Yes, a Burns Night is a unique affair.
0: Ian Gibson was one of the first voices we heard on This Is Isla at the 2019 Isla Show. Now he's back to share some more.
4: I've been joined this afternoon by uh, Julian. Uh, Welcome. The last time I spoke to Ian Gibson was on Isla Show Day in August 2019. As Burns night is approaching, I thought I would take time out and speak with Ian. As we all on Isla know, that Ian wears many hats with his involvement in celebrations happening on the island. So we turn to Ian and say, And what is the Burns tradition on Isla?
5: Well, I can't go back hundreds of years. Um, there have always been, certainly in my time in Isla, so from about 1980 onwards, there have always been burn suppers in the villages, generally organised for fundraising purposes. Um, I've spoken at Gallic Choir burn suppers, I've spoken at Lodge burn suppers, um, Jura Hall burn suppers, really anybody who's looking, hopefully, to raise some money around the end of January, and let's face it, who isn't, then having a burnt supper was a a reasonable excuse and quite a good fundraiser. So had that gone on way before the 80s, I'm assuming so, Glenn, Mm -hmm. but I can't say with with any certainty.
4: I think we spoke earlier, and if I recall... um... Traditionally, Burns is classed as um, a mainland Scotland poet, not necessarily related to the islands as being um, uh, an excise, is is that right? Excise man? Back in in the 70s, (laughs) would Burns not um, be welcome on Isla due to the distilleries, I'll put it? Yeah, now you're asking me to speculate
5: back back into the 1700s. And that's much more your time than my time. Excise men were generally, I would have said, unpopular individuals. And I would have thought that they were even more unpopular uh, in the islands. My knowledge, I mean, my deep academic knowledge of Burns is very limited. Um, learnt a bit at school, used to do the poems and things like that, and as I was speaking about Burns, I used to put him in all sorts of places. Um, I had him over in Ghana at one time, um, so that it led into a joke. I certainly had him touring around the Scottish islands, because that led into a joke. So I used to play fast and loose with where he was and what he used to do simply to fit in with whichever story I was leading up to. So I'm not academically qualified to speak deeply on Burns. I mean, the, the, there, are, there are people on, on the islands who quite rightly view him as a poet rather than an exciseman. You know, so yes. the, po- the poetry part is universal. And that certainly travels to the island. And I would never wish to underestimate the knowledge of people who went to Burns suppers. Um, some of them were absolutely devotees of Burns um, and knew a great deal about it and were very well versed in Burns. That's just not the kind of speech that they got um, from me whether it was an immortal memory, whether it was a toast to lassies or whatever simply because their knowledge would be much greater. And because it was for fundraising, then I always viewed the majority of those who were going to be there as outside in a supportive way to the cause who wanted to be entertained. And Burns happened to be the peg that that was hung on that evening. So I I always viewed whilst, I mean, I talked about Burns' life, but on a 16-page speech, the bit about Burns was probably two pages, and the, less, the rest technically was supposed to be entertaining. Mm. Whether people found it so or not, of course, is a completely different matter. And I leave you to podcast others <laughs> as, as far as that's
4: concerned. <laughs> I know, because when we spoke last Last week, I remember the days when I was um, working on the mainland, such organizations as the Bridgeton Burns Club and also in the Royal Scottish Automobile Club, they always did Burns. I think they did Burns more on the serious side of Burns, where you had somebody like um, Sheriff Irvin Smith doing the Immortal Memory or the Address to the Haggis. And I know on Isla, I have been as a, a function where you did the Address to the Haggis uh, many moons ago. And people didn't realise at the time that when you do Address to the Haggis, you need quite a large haggis because of the dirt going in and the cutting of it. Absolutely. Which, which is, as, as a foreigner, is the, the enjoyment of being at a burn supper although you don't know much about Robbie Bur- Robert Burns mm-hmm. himself, but when, um, what was it, gushing entrails and, yep. you know, um, that was the exciting part of it. And I know at many a function, um, the only thing I ever learned about Robert Burns, besides knowing about him, about his poetry, was the Selkirk Grace. Can, you- I, can, I, can, I, can I just mention, Glenn, about the haggis? Because the
5: haggis is very important when you're addressing it. Yeah. That not only does it have to be large, if possible, (laughs) but absolutely, essentially, it has to be hot. Because there is nothing worse than, you know, see rustic labour dicht and cut you up with ready slicht, trenching your gushing entrails bricht like any ditch. When you put your knife into the haggis, it just sits there. You if you you pierce the the surroundings of a warm haggis, it pops. You know, it actually does something. Whereas if you cut into a cold haggis, it's just cutting into a cold haggis. It does nothing at all. Um, So I I would implore anybody who is organising a burnt supper to, out of respect for the person doing the toast to the haggis, to heat up the haggis beforehand so that <laughs> the, so that there is this eruption, which he is then talking about. Yes. Otherwise, it, 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 it loses its dramatic effect a little bit. <laughs> it be, it be, to give you a flavor of where I used to take things or try and take things. Each, it's, it's always very difficult if if you're invited back somewhere to come up with something new. Okay. And at that time, at the time I started anyway, there were very few people who were prepared to go to these events to speak. Certainly anybody who was as cheap as I was. So I, I used to get invited back, not necessarily every year, but there was one year, foolishly, where I was booked to do three on the island, which is a relatively small community. Um, and... I'm. I don't have enough cleverness to come up with three different speeches. (laughs) So basically, I touted the same one around to the three functions. And you can imagine my dismay when there were a goodly number of people at the second one who were at the first one. And then even worse, at the third one, there were a reasonable representation. They were mouthing along with me, (laughs) I didn't need notes because I was I was being prompted by the people by the people who were there, and at that point I thought this is a bit silly. You have to be a bit more careful um, of what you're what you're agreeing to what you're agreeing to do. But I, I used to, just to try and come up with something different. Um, I had examples from his poetry as to how Burns was a doctor. Um, I came up with examples of how his greatest love poems were taped, were put on cassette, okay, and were transcribed later on. Um, and, And from the text, I could make something of a case as to his most romantic songs were actually dictated while he was making love. Now, I'm not going to go into the the, the the ins and outs of it here, but that was kind of where I took the material. Um, and one year I um, decided that Burns would be a Kilmarnock supporter and would be the writer of the first football song. Okay? People yes. think that football songs are relatively uh, recent innovation. I came across this just the other day. Um, uh, and how the oral tradition can change within life. So this was, this, this was part of my academic research. And, and the first, because he was a commander supporter, and like Rangers and Celtic, there's a great rivalry. And indeed, and the United has a great rivalry. Hibs and Hearts has a great rivalry. The commanding rivalry is with air. Okay? No, so anyway, have... the, first, the first football song ever written went like this. Fair for your honest sonsy face, great chieftains o' oh, the fit race. A boon them all, ye tack your place, old firm maria, weel you ye wordy oh, a grace for every player. All the others, see them thrash, as feckless as a withered rash. Their spindle shank a gid-whipped lash, their knees like knits, through bloody flood and field to dash. Oh, how unfit. But Ayrshire Killy, you are fine training till every muscle there. complaining. The premier title you're attaining, that is your due. As long as I live, then I'll be straining to follow you. Now, that's how it was originally written. And through the years, it's been corrupted and changed and reworked. And now turns out to be the toast of the haggis that we heard earlier today. So that's the kind of level we were operating on. This was not deep-rooted academic burn stuff. It was just nonsense. <laughs> in, the hope, in, the, in the hope that people who had paid £2.15 or whatever would raise a smile and would buy a raffle ticket for whichever cause we were we were working for.
4: Fantastic. Incredible, Fantastic. isn't it?
5: Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Um, I, I, I've always done um, the speeches in rhyme because you can get away for the first two or three minutes while people are nudging each other, saying, "Is this in rhyme?" So not, the content's not important because they're not listening to it. It's just, <laughs> the fact, it's just the fact that it rhymes, and, and, and as I say, you're, you're three or four minutes into it before they start listening to what you're saying, in which case you've got away with a lot of a lot of stuff.
4: But but the um, the future of burns seems to be still carrying on, although um, you don't hear as much about burns until about the week before the twenty fifth of January, isn't it? Yep.
5: Yep. Yeah. You know. uh, that's true. I mean, that's, 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 that's absolutely true. And, and, and that, in its own way, is a justification for having, for having Burns suppers. Why are they so popular? Is it because of Burns himself? In some cases, it absolutely is. Is it because it's a time where we can actually get together and acknowledge and talk about our Scottishness? Yes, I think it is to a certain extent. Um, and I think that's why Burns clubs flourish literally mm. throughout, throughout the world. I mean, there are a tremendous number in North America. But we often hear about the ones in Russia. They are just everywhere. And, and part of that is because Scots people like, together, like to get together and have an excuse for a drink. <laughs> so that's what they do. Yeah. And, and, and they, hang it, they hang it around Burns. Um, I believe it'll go. It'll go on forever. Um, partly, it's the universal "man's a man for all that" mm-hmm. um, kind of Burns thing, um, and he's turned into this mythical hero. and And I would love to ask him. I would love to ask him how he feels about Burns Supports. I mean, I really would. Here, here we go. This is this is me blowing my own trumpet. But one of the serious bits which I used to throw in generally towards, towards the end was, if I can find it, "Burns suppers can be odd affairs. Would he himself attend to see the analytic depth to which we can descend where every word is scrutinized, a hidden, hidden meaning sought, and he is annually built up to something he is not. But if it means his verse is read for just a week or two, when all our words have flown away, his will remain like new. And I think, I think that's it. If, it. if it just brings the universality of Burns, because there is a universality in what he, what he was and what he became and what he did and what he wrote. If it brings it to people's attention, albeit a comedic let's have fun setting, I think that's, I think that's I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes I believe I believe they will go on for that reason. Party, drink, poetry, songs. What can be more Scottish than that? Of course it will endure. And and a good bit of nostalgia.
4: And of course we I mean it's true what you say because we did speak about uh, the Reverend Curry who yep. I know um was was around the world doing burns, not yeah. only in Scotland, but he was in America, as you say, he was in Russia, and he was very serious burns. You yeah. know, yes, it
5: was, but, but it was always fairly light. You know, it always had a comedic edge going. I mean, you're right. He 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 took it. He took it very very seriously. Mm-hmm. But there was a, there was a tremendous element of of. Fun in it. Um, I, I think I said to you when we were talking about that um, that I was fortunate enough on more than one occasion uh, to share a platform with his son, <coughs> who was hugely knowledgeable but immensely entertaining. Told some brilliant stories. One of which I stole. I mean, I did tell him. I did tell him I was stealing it, and he said that was all right because he had stolen one of mine. Well,
4: that just made me feel so good it wasn't true. <laughs> talking to Ian has been so entertaining and the tears are running down my cheek here with the the humour Ian it's always a joy to speak to you whether via Zoom or um, in the streets of Bermore and we at um, This is Isla thank you very much and we very much appreciate you spending the time to talk to Julian and I and wish you and Mrs. Gibson, or do I say you and Dr. Gibson, um, a good new year, which it may be a wee bit on the late side, but let's hope that 2021 will be um, a year to look forward to. Well, we're sitting here and we're definitely looking forward to 2021. And so we can get out and about and speak to our friends and the community on Isla. Once again, many thanks. Uh, My pleasure. And and I echo
5: the hope. Um, It's all very well sitting in computers being cheeky to each other and abusing each other. But the sooner we can do it face to face, the better. (laughs) Much
4: more satisfying. Yes, we would uh, agree on that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Thanks, Ian.
4: Thanks,
1: Ian. I can certainly see why ian being in great demand at this time of year.
0: Not so much this year. Given the current situation, Burns Night this year is going to be an at-home event.
1: But I'm sure you'll still find haggis on the menu somewhere on Isla.
0: And now you know how Scotland gave the world its first football song, which later became addressed to a Haggis.
1: So Gemma, are you a fan of haggis?
0: Uh, the vegetarian option, yes.
1: Ah, okay, okay.
0: <laughs>
1: I can't imagine goes, what goes into a vegetarian haggis.
0: It's tasty, it's a good alternative.
1: Well, good, good.
0: And now it's time for this month's factoid.
1: Nick gave us the inspiration for this month's interesting fact. And as a self-confessed map nerd, I'm happy to elaborate.
0: Go on then, what is a trig point?
1: If you're a hill walker, then trig points or triangulation pillars are a familiar sight. According to the Ordnance Survey, over 6,500 of these concrete monuments were built between 1936 and 1962, as part of a program to remap the entire country. Together, all these trig points formed a network. For them to work, at least two other trig points must be visible, at least on a clear day, from any one trick point. By measuring the angles between two trick points, you could then triangulate a network all the way from the Scilly Isles in the south as far north as Shetland. For example, Isla's trick points were connected, again, on a clear day, to similar trick points on Knockmoy on Kintyre, to Knocklade in Northern Ireland, and to a station in Donegal in the Irish Republic.
0: On a very clear day.
1: Exactly. The trick point is just like the iconic red telephone box. Most of them are no longer used or needed anymore because map makers and surveyors can rely on GPS, aerial photography, and other technologies.
0: It sounds as though you could talk about this for quite a bit longer.
1: Well, yes, I admit it. Maybe in another podcast.
0: (laughs) Yes, perhaps. Now, Isla's own, Mary McGilvery, is known as a fine young Gaelic singer. If you've heard her sing locally, you'll have to agree that she has beautiful voice. She has performed at various venues across the UK, and in 2020, she graduated from the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland with a first class honours in traditional music. We we're lucky enough to catch up with her recently, and here she is to, to introduce one of the tracks from her brand new EP, In My Mind.
1: So today I'm lucky enough to have in the studio with me a rising young Isla Starr, Mary McGilvery, and I'm going to turn it over to her to introduce herself and tell us what we're going to hear from her today.
6: Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so I'm from Isla and I've been singing all my life because of that. And I moved to Glasgow about five years ago um, to study at the Royal Conservatoire and I just um, graduated from there last year. And since then I've been working on my EP in my mind. And today you're gonna hear one of the tracks from that, Hafatak Oramheen, which is a traditional Gallic walking song.
7: pas tort qu'elle
1: wonderful, Mary. So if, if people want to hear more, how can they find out more about you and your music?
6: Yeah, so the best way probably in terms of um, what's coming up and things like that, the best way is Facebook uh, my Facebook page, which is just Mary Um and also if you want to get the the EP, the best way to get that is on Bandcamp but it can be physical or digital download.
1: And I think your mother's also selling them at the Galaxy Centre and the album... The CD is available at Portaskeg.
6: Yes, that's right. Um, so there's yeah, a few copies over on Isla as well for sale.
1: Well, that was, that was great. Uh, it was great to, to meet you, Mary. And we look forward to hearing the rest of your EP.
6: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you, Mary.
0: Wow, what a fantastic song.
1: Mary, congratulations on its new release on... and good luck.
0: To learn more about Aya's heritage and Gaelic song and music, This Is Isla is planning to bring you a conversation with Lynn Macdonald in a future episode. But for now, that's all we have time for. Just before we go, a quick reminder that we are looking for your Isla and Jura stories or questions to be featured in future podcasts.
1: You can email them to thisisila at gmail.com. You can always follow us on social media, Facebook at This Is Isla, Twitter this, at This Is Isla, Instagram at This Is Isla Podcast.
0: Thank you very much for listening and remember to hit the like button and su- subscribe so you never miss an episode.
1: And thanks for hosting this month, Gemma. Goodbye. Goodbye.
3: I'm Sharon McHarry. You've been listening to This Is Isla, the people, places, events, and connections of Isla and Jura. And we invite you to join us again next time. Thank you for
2: listening to this episode of This is Isla Podcast. Our theme song
7: is Swift it's pretty sure.